Well, speaking of the preface to the Ten Commandments, let us turn in our Scriptures to Exodus chapter 20. We will read Exodus 20, 1 through 17. Our focus today, though, will be Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it is on page 118. Hear the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray. Our gracious and holy God and Father above, we do thank you for these commandments. We thank you for the summary of life that they give to us. We thank you for the hedge that they place around the path that we are called to walk on. So, Lord, as we turn to these commandments, remind us of the one who has kept these commandments on our behalf and remind us of the call to be holy as you are holy. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Over the last 20 years or so, the Ten Commandments have been a a source of contention in our country, and we have seemingly been more concerned in our culture with where they are posted than what they say. And so what I want to do over the next several weeks is to work our way through one commandment a week and look at the Ten Commandments. But we can't jump into the Ten Commandments until we understand two things. We understand what they are and we understand who has given them to us. And so those are the things that I want us to look at today. So first off, what are the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments are the stipulations in a document called a covenant. Let's back up for a little bit and talk about what is a covenant. In the ancient Near East, in the time that the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites, covenants were documents that defined the parameters and the responsibilities and rights within a relationship. Now this just wasn't a document that described the relationship between friends or or family members, or even husbands and wife. There were very specific relationships which the covenant defined. 
And this was a relationship between a strong king, a suzerain, if you will, that's the ancient Near Eastern word, or, and, excuse me, a strong king, the suzerain, and a weaker king, the vassal. And it described and set forth the rules for how they were to relate to one another. And it was usually had some very specific parts and pieces to it. The first part or piece of the covenant was typically the historical foundation of the covenant. What has the strong king done for the weak king that would make this document necessary? We, we see that here actually today in verse 2. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Think back to the history of, of Israel up to this point. Abraham was called in Genesis chapter 12 as a family to be set apart for God, to be the line that the Redeemer promised in Genesis 3 would come from. And God took Abram out of his land and moved him to another land that God was going to show him. God came to Abram and says, get up, leave your family, leave your land, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will give you... Uh, descendants, I will give you the land and I will make you a blessing to all the nations. Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And so Abraham got up and went and he got to the land and he had some, some difficulties in the land, some military difficulties, some relational difficulties. And he went to God in, in Genesis 15 and he said, hey, you've, you've given me all these promises and, I, and I've kind of seen you bless uh, Melchizedek when he blessed me and I've kind of seen you curse the king of Sodom when he cursed me, but what about land? What about children? And God reiterated the promises for him and expanded on him. And the promise of the land came with the expansion that it would not reach its final fulfillment for 400 years. In fact, Israel would leave the land that God was going to give to Abraham and become slaves in another land. And that is where we are here or this, that is the end of that is where we are here in Exodus chapter 20 because that happened. Joseph and Jacob and the, the other, Jacob and the, the 12 patriarchs of Israel ended up in Egypt. They were brought to Egypt as dignitaries with great respect, but as their clan grew and pharaohs changed, they were oppressed and put into slavery. And as they cried out against their slavery, God heard them and he raised up Moses and he sent Moses and he said, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he gave him some signs and some wonders to show to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's uh, court priests were able to mimic the signs that Moses gave. And Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let your people go. They're slaves. They're my slaves. I, I can't deal without them. So you go. And so God brought these plagues, these miracles, these wonders, these signs as they're described, as they're called, upon Egypt, turned the water to blood, darkness reigned over the land, frogs and, and hail destroying the crops, and just all these things and these plagues culminated in the loss of the firstborn child in every household, except for the ones that covered their lentil, the doorpost in the blood of the sacrificed lamb. And after that, Pharaoh said, your people have been too much uh, of a cost for me. Go. And so the Israelites left. Um, in fact, the Egyptians paid them to leave. We call it plundering the Egyptians. They said, here, not only get out of here, but take this gold, take this food, take these animals, 
Take everything. Just go. We can't handle this anymore. They get to the shore of the Red Sea and, the, and Pharaoh has changed his mind. He said, I'm, I'm going to destroy them and bring back whatever's left. And so the, the, the Israelites are stuck between the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh. And God tells Moses, walk out into the ocean, walk out into the water. And the waters parted and all the Israelites passed through on dry land. And as the waters rushed back in, the armies of Egypt were destroyed. And then God led them to this mountain, Mount Sinai. And they're camped around the base of the mountain. And all of a sudden, this storm cloud full of fire and thunder and the booming voice of God descends upon the mountain. And He calls Moses up there and He gives Moses these ten commandments or these ten words which open up with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, who brought you from the land of Egypt. And that is the historical foundation of what God gives next, which is the next step in a covenant. The next step in a covenant is the rules or stipulations that the vassal must live by, the weaker king must live by in this, in this relationship. Now, these are not the full rules, full rules that God gives to the Israelites. This is a summary of what God gives to the Israelites. He's going to fill it out for them through the rest of the book of Exodus, through the book of Leviticus, as he gives them the sacrificial system, as he gives them civil laws for how to administrate a kingdom, a country, rules of punishment for theft and things like that. But this is the summary of the law. This is the summary of the stipulations that God gives to the Israelites. And of course, we know that with stipulations, you have consequences. There's good consequences. If you keep the rules, there are blessings to be given. So God in Deuteronomy, as he is filling out through Moses, the covenant, he says, hey, if you listen to me, you'll live in the land. It'll be prosperous for you. Uh, you'll get to stay there. You'll be safe. You'll be protected. But there's also negative consequences. If you break the rules, he says, God says to the Israelites, you'll lose the land. The land will reject you. The land will spew you out because you have broken my rules and you have chased after other gods. And so we have the historical foundation of the covenant. We have the rules or stipulations to live by. We have the consequences, blessing for obedience, uh, punishment for disobedience. And then we have a perpetuation of the covenant document. And the perpetuation of the covenant document between God and his people is God himself. In other words, this, this document will go on, this relationship will go on between God and the people of Israel forever. Because God is forever. God is infinite. God is never changing. God is faithful when we are faithless. And so this covenant relationship between God and his people goes on through eternity. And so the Ten Commandments are the stipulations of living in a covenant relationship with God. The Ten Commandments are kind of the bare minimum that we must live by, but they're also the maximum which we must live by, which we'll talk about as we go through these. Because as we look at the Ten Commandments, there's a narrow interpretation and a wide interpretation. The narrow interpretation, you shall not murder. Hey, I've never killed anybody. That's a good thing, right? Okay, so that's the narrow interpretation. The wide interpretation is Jesus says, you've heard it say, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, if you call people names in your heart, you've done the same thing. 
And so we'll look at that as we go through. So the, the Ten Commandments are both the bare minimum and the maximum that we must live by in order to be declared righteous by God. These are the rules. What are the Ten Commandments, the rules that we must live by? What is the basis of the Ten Commandments? Well, the basis, the foundation of the Ten Commandments is this historical prologue, this preface as the uh, confession called it. God calls us to live according to these commandments because he has done the work of redemption. He calls the Israelites to live by these commandments because he says, I have taken you out of the land of slavery. And the unspoken thing is here, I'm leading you to the promised land. I've taken you out of a land where you are slaves and I am going to place you in a land where you are kings, where you are prosperous, where you can honor and glorify me in safety and in peace. Why do we study the Ten Commandments? We study the Ten Commandments for at least three reasons. First, because as I said, they're a summary of how God wants us to live. Now, If we don't consider all ten of the commandments, they are incomplete, but there is value in a society of looking at the last six. It's beneficial for us in society to respect authority, especially parental authority, is it not? It's beneficial for us in a society to respect life, is it not? Thou shalt not murder. It's beneficial for us to remain faithful in marriage. It's beneficial for us to respect the property of others. It's beneficial to us to deal honestly with people and their reputations, and it's beneficial for us to be content with what we have been given by God. But it shows us how to live, and it reminds us as it shows us how to live, the second reason we study the Ten Commandments, it reminds us that God is a reality. Those first four commandments are probably the ones that we as a culture have the most problem with. Because you know what? We want other gods before the God of the Scriptures, the God of the Bibles. At least we want at least one God before the God of the Bibles, the God of the Scriptures. I want one God before the God of the Bible and the God of the Scriptures. And I'm sure you do too. It confronts us with that reality and we don't like to be confronted with that because we think we are the, the captain of our ship, the master of our faith. But these rules, thirdly, we study them because they tell us who this God is. As we look at the commandments in the, in the coming weeks, we'll see that this is a God who demands allegiance. Soul allegiance above all other things. We'll be reminded that God is a God who respects life. He created life. We'll be reminded that He's a God that respects life. But the most important thing for us to remember about God is that He is the redeeming God. He is the God that brought them out of the land of slavery, who brought them out of Egypt. And he's brought us out of slavery as well. Our New Testament reading today from Romans 6, 15 through 7, 6 reminds us of the fact that we were once slaves to sin. Paul says you either obey sin or you obey God. And we have willingly sold ourselves into slavery to obey sin as human beings. We have willingly said to God, I don't want your rules. I want my own. And therefore, I will be slaves to my appetites. I will be slave to my desire. I will be a slave to whatever whim comes into my mind. And I do it willingly. 
And God says that's fine, but that's treason. That's rebellion. And it deserves death. It deserves punishment. It deserves judgment. But I'll buy you out of slavery. I'll send my son to live the perfect life, to keep all the rules, to worship me in everything he does, to think of nothing but the glory of God when he makes every single decision, to follow these Ten Commandments to the letter and to the Spirit, to earn life and take death, to earn the blessings of keeping the covenant stipulations, the covenant rules, and yet take upon himself on the cross the punishment for breaking every single one. So that judgment might pass over you as the angel of death passed over the Israelites. So that you may be redeemed and freed from the slavery to sin as the Israelites were redeemed and freed from the slavery to Egypt. So that you might have life when you deserve death. And so that at the end of your trek through the wilderness, you might have the hope of the promised land. And that is ours through belief. We believe and repent. We have faith and are baptized. And we are the children of God. We are freed from sin and from slavery. And then God says, be holy as I am holy. I have redeemed you from slavery to your sin. Strive to be holy. And these are the rules for us to be holy. As we consider the law, as we consider the Ten Commandments, I want us to, to keep three uses in mind as we move forward. As we look at these stipulations, as we look at the foundation of God's redemption as the basis for the law, I want us to keep three things in mind. First, according to Philip Ryken, the law is a map. The law is a map in teaching us how to live. When, whenever, we, whenever we're going on a trip and we don't know where we're going, we can pull up our GPS on our phone, or if you've got it mounted on your dash there, or you know, if you're like I used to be, you have a map with you, a piece of paper. It, anybody remember what maps are anymore? We have maps, we have pieces of paper that show us how to get to where we're going. The Ten Commandments are a map for our lives. They begin with the good news of redemption. We start focusing on keeping the Ten Commandments when we're redeemed. If we're not redeemed, if we have not been freed from slavery to sin, the Ten Commandments are just rules that we can't keep. And when we do, Isaiah tells us our good works are as filthy rags. But once we have the foundation of redemption, the Ten Commandments show us the route to holiness. That's our goal. Be holy as I am holy, God says several times in Leviticus. Peter repeats it for us. The Ten Commandments show us how to be holy. Not an external holiness. Not that narrow view of holiness where I, I, I really demean the meaning, the value of the law by saying, okay, since I haven't done X, then I have kept this commandment. But that true internal holiness where God changes our hearts. We no longer worship idols made of human hands, but we have idols of the heart. And once they allow the commandments, show us how to get rid of those idols of the heart. So the commandments are our map. Secondly, the commandments are a muzzle. Later on in Romans chapter 7, Paul says, there's a lot of stuff that I wish I didn't do, that I do all the time, because I really would rather do the things God wants me to do, the things that God considers holy. But I don't. I do the sinful things. The law is there to keep us from that. Paul says in Romans as well that I didn't know what coveting was until the law showed me what coveting was. 
The law keeps us from sin. Psalm 119, 97 through 104 tells us that the law keeps us on the right path and off the evil path. The law reminds us of where the boundaries between those two paths are. When I'm tempted to get mad at somebody driving in a way that I don't think is right, because you know my way of driving is the right way. When I'm tempted to get mad at them and call them names, names that they'll never hear, yelling and screaming that will have no effect whatsoever on the situation, the law reminds me, thou shalt not murder. The law reminds me to ask forgiveness. The law reminds me that they are human and deserve to be treated with dignity and honor and respect. The law is a map. The law is a muzzle. And thirdly, the law is a mirror. It shows us our sins. The Ten Commandments cannot bring salvation on their own. It takes the work of God redeeming us. But it shows us where we fail. Coveting. Idolatry. (coughs) Calling myself a Christian and yet... And in calling myself a Christian, taking Christ's name on myself, but acting very unchristianly and therefore misusing the name of my Savior. The law shows me where I desperately need grace. The law shows me where I desperately need forgiveness. And the law reminds me that I desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit to follow the map and to not take off the muzzle as I walk through life. We're going to study the Ten Commandments because I think we need a reminder of what God calls us to. We need a reminder of how to get to where God calls us, to that holiness. But as we study these Ten Commandments, we need to remember the foundation of redemption upon which they rest. These cannot save us. Pursuing holiness for holiness sake cannot save us. Pursuing the Ten Commandments, keeping the law of God cannot save us if that's our only hope. Our hope is in the redemption that God has given us and therefore we perceive, we, we chase after holiness. Paul says in Romans many, many times, he says, you are justified. You are declared righteous before God. Act like it. You can pursue holiness because what Jesus has done, do it. You're called to be holy. God has given you the power. God has given you the way. And God has given you the map to holiness. Pursue it with all your might. Pick yourself up in the power of the Spirit when you fall. And continue on and persevere. Stay on the right path and off the evil one. Let's pray. Our God and Father, help us to remember the foundation of the law. I am the Lord your God. You have entered into relationship with us. You have met us where we are. And in our failings of the law, in our deliberate failing of the law, you have offered us salvation. You have offered us grace. Lord, as we consider the roadmap that your law is, make it clear for us. Make our way straight. Help us to see the road before us and to stay on it. When we're tempted to leave the path that the map shows us, muzzle us, close our mouths, keep us from sin. 
Open our eyes to the way out of temptation that you give to each of us. And Lord, when the law shows us that reflection of our sin, may it drive us to your cross so that we might confess and know that we are forgiven through the work of your son. Help us to love you. Help us to love our neighbor. Help us to pursue holiness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.